If ever there was a day to praise the Lord, today is the day, right? This is a Sunday of epic proportions. It is a day that reminds us of the true epic, the truest story ever told, the only story that has any merit for living and for life, the story of Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, who came down to earth to show us the face and love and heart of God and who has invited us to join him in his city, the city of God, his kingdom. And one day we'll all be together again in the city of God. That's sort of the picture. You know, I'm a big, a big picture guy. I, I just realized that. I, I've fed on epic stories, epic, uh, dramatic, something we call my uh, statements, uh, sometimes dramatic, but I was raised that way. It saved me to have a big picture in mind. I was a boy when I came to Christ, birth 15, and it was A.G. Jefferson who was preaching in our local church in Lynchburg, Virginia, who gave the invitation to open our hearts to Christ Jesus, and I did, quietly sitting about the third row back, swinging my feet, and had no idea that night I would begin a new life. But I invited Christ in my life, and he changed me. And it was a hard time in my life, I'll have to admit. Uh, I won't go into the details of that, but I needed a vision. And God, Jesus, gave me one. That's what it's all about. By the way, A.G. Jefferson was my optician in Lynchburg. He was a lay preacher, a powerful preacher, who himself had experienced the salvation of Christ. He made my glasses, but the greatest sight he gave me was the sight to see Jesus knocking on our door of my heart. And I'll never regret that night. Now, it was gradual, and it was process of growth that brought me to a place where I am today with the confidence that I have today, with a confidence that undergirds my whole life. And I'm just giving you a confession here, but you have your own. Mine is just important because it's one of many millions that Jesus Christ changes lives. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He gives us hope. And I'm hoping tonight or today, that you will leave here with your hope fed, with your faith fed, with your desire to be with Jesus all the more powerful in your life, to know him now and to know him forever. That's our purpose, and that's our privilege. In light of that, I want to tell you that uh, I grew up in a time when Epic stories were big in Christian circles. We didn't have Christian music to inspire us. No one was doing that kind of circuit then. So I read, uh, I think it was Lloyd Douglas's books, The Robe, The Chalice. I, those books fed me. It was amazing how this man's imagination built around the story of Christ just gave me an image to, to live by, to, to focus on, to see. We had radio, we had a TV radio program called The Greatest Story Ever Told, little snippets of the life of Christ every Sunday night. And I'd listen to those, well, I should say religiously. Should not. But they fed me, and they gave me a vision of something greater than myself. And that's what we all need, church. We all need a vision bigger than we are. We're down here in the grunge and the grunting of life, the 
sordidness of life. And every day we are salted, our senses are salted by things that make us feel that there's just no hope for mankind. But there is hope for mankind. Jesus Christ is the hope for mankind. And the only hope there is. The only way to God's and the only truth there is and the only dependable life there is for any of us. So today we're celebrating the great epic story of Jesus. And I hope that our hearts can be stirred and that somehow in just brief moments I might have a part in sharing with you something that I'm even seeing freshly today. So we're going to uh, turn, if you will, for me, with me for the scriptures. We're going to stand and I'm going to read the text for the morning. Now I want you to recognize as I read this text that we go from the triumphal entry of Christ to the city of Jerusalem to talking about something that happened on the sidelines, but not really. Where Jesus is, where some Greeks who were there, who are uh, Gentiles like you and I were, most of us at least, were at one time, were out there seeing all of this circumstance, this celebration going on around Jesus, and they wanted to meet him. And that is significant because they, this is in the text because, it's, this is not just about what was going on with the Jews, this is what's going on with the Gentiles. This is the reason we are uh, believers and we know God is because we have been included in the family of faith as Gentiles to know him. And that was the promise made to Abraham that he was to take the nation, the message to the Gentiles. Triumphal entry. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated upon the donkey's coat. That's a quote from Zechariah. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Notice that. These disciples didn't know what they were doing when they did it. They were doing something far beyond their comprehension, and they didn't comprehend that even the celebration they were doing didn't mean as much to them when they were doing it. They realized later these things had been written about him and that they themselves had done these things to him. That is, celebrate. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said one to the other, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is turning to him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida to Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip went in turn and told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, 
it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. And when a man hates his life in this world and will keep it for, will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. The Word of God, blessed be His name. May be seated. May we pray. Drop in, Lord. Drop into our consciousness. Drop into our hearts. Drop into our fellowship. Make yourself known. Enlighten us, enlighten me, enlighten, O oh God, those who have yet eyes to see, that we may leave here certainly verified followers of Christ. Amen. Winston Churchill uh, was uh, many things to many people. He enjoyed a reputation like any flawed leader would, but he particularly was brash. He was a braggart, somewhat bullish, a bluffer, and sometimes brilliant. You know, Churchill suffered much rejection in his lifetime. His life uh, had many opportunities to do things in government and big places among the mighty, and he himself was not too highly esteemed. Seemed he left his office in a grayness of failure and lived his whole life till the days that we first become aware of him in World War II era, uh, that braggart, brush, uh, blustering guy walking down the streets, smoking a big cigar, strutting down as a symbol of the bullish determination of a nation to defeat them. That man, we see, was but a facade until Jesus came into his life and grabbed him. And I think he did. I think Winston Churchill's God had his hands on that man in spite of the man. And he does that with many of us here. You know that, don't you? Churchill, unbeknownst to many of us, was rejected by his own parents. They were high-minded people. They knew nothing of child-rearing, didn't care about it. They got a nanny and pawned him off to the nanny, sent him off to boarding school. He was at a boarding school, and his own father went across the street to one place and never visited his son in the boarding school. They were cold, and some say heartless. I just think they were incapable of understanding what it was to be parents and were glad to be done with the pressure and determination of it. But Churchill had a blessing in his life, and that blessing was a nanny to whom he was uh, given to take care of. And that nanny taught him the scriptures, taught him how to pray, inculcated him with the principles of God, made him aware that his life was a gift, and gave him the grounding he needed for the day when we see him so heroically walking those streets in Britain after the great bombings. 
speaking those words of power, those words of influence, those words that rallied a defeated nation to meet them on the shore and so forth. Beat them back with pitchforks and sticks, whatever it was. He called a nation who was down to the last line to rally and to believe. And that was the gift of God in Winston Churchill to save this nation from Hitler's horrendous power. Now, one thing about Churchill that I think many of us don't appreciate is he was a man who could turn a phrase. Did you know he, he wasn't a very good student? But when he was in Africa, when he was out on those long military tours he did in the early part of his life, he began to study. And he studied the history of the English people. And he wrote a three-volume set, which was used for many years and still is used in some circles, highly esteemed as being a very complete history and a very able history of the British people. At the end of the, the move in North Africa, when the British had driven Rommel out and all the Germans out of North Africa and they were moving to a new theater of operation, Winston Churchill came on the air and, and read out some lines which I like to quote today. He said to the British people who were just uh, experiencing their first win, first victory, he said, now this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. But it is, perhaps, the end of the beginning. Isn't that beautiful? That's an honest statement. This is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it is, perhaps, the end of the beginning. And here's what I want to do with it. I want to say to you, at Palm Sundays, five days before Passover, was marking the end of the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry and the beginning of the end when he will make all things new. That's my hope. That's the big picture. That's the big picture that we need to have in mind today, that we are living in a time that is just being when history is rolling along, but history is going somewhere. The one thing that Churchill understood was that history had its place in God's story. Did you know when he died, he left an order that this would be the way his funeral would go. They would have all of these songs he picked out, all these scriptures he had selected, all of these events that he had told them he would desire in the state funeral. But he gave them a word that when the last bell was rung, he wanted a soldier to stand on the top of a tallest building and blow taps. Day is ending. And when the quiet had come upon the crowd, he wanted another soldier to stand up and blow reveille. Isn't that beautiful? See, Churchill had a sense that we all need. And I think it came from his scriptural grounding and his understanding taught to him by his nurse that his life was not over. That there was a new day dawning. That history will never come to an end. History is God's history and his story and it is forever. That's what we're celebrating today. 
the beginning of the end and the establishment of the kingdom of God. That's the whole imagery here in the story today. Now it's reasonable and it's sane for us to want to attach ourselves to people who are winners. Winning is about survival, but winning is more than just about survival. It's about transcending. Never settle for survival. There are lots of preppers around here who will tell you how to survive. They think they know how to survive. I don't want to survive. I want to transcend. I want to go beyond the survival thing. I've done that. But transcendence is what it's all about. Rising above this lowest state. Getting higher than I was. Not having recovery of what I had, but going beyond. That's the spirit of Christ who calls us to believe in his kingdom. To see that this life is but a beginning and but the start. So it's right natural for us to follow people who are winners. But most winners just tell us how to survive, how to get along. Some tell us how to transcend, but not really. They only tell you how to transcend in business or how to transcend over some brother or sister, how to get uh, to rise above uh, in the earthly level. But Jesus tells us how to transcend and be what we were meant to be. And that's what it's all about. Jesus certainly was the one teacher who taught us how we are to transcend and to make it possible for us. Now, when his earliest disciples followed Jesus, we think sometimes maybe it was the wonders they did and the miracles he did. And Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be around Jesus? I think I would have believed too if I could have seen those miracles and I've seen those wonders and I've seen all those marvelous things that Jesus did. If I could only see him walk on water, I think it would help my faith. No, church, that's not why those early disciples followed Jesus. Go back to those first 12. He was walking along the beach where they were fishing. They were doing ordinary things. And he said, come, take up your net and follow me. Apparently there had been some encounter before. They had heard him teach. They had been around him. But he didn't perform a miracle for them. He called them to follow him. And they followed him. And they followed him for a reason. And I believe that reason was something to do with who Jesus was. What happened to them when they were around him? How they felt about themselves. The hope that surged in their hearts as he taught them. The love that they felt emanating from this man, this, this man called Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus because they saw a miracle. They only saw the miracle after they followed him. And it was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, you remember, where Jesus performed his first miracle. They were as astonished as the other people were. They weren't there for that. They were there for him. Because what, John, what Peter said long in, later on in, in the Gospel of John, he said, Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And, and Peter said, Lord, who else has the words of life? They responded. They vibrated in the presence of Jesus with life. And that is why we all should follow him, because he is the life. He's the one who makes us to see that life has more to offer than our little short-sightedness that arises above us. Last week, I, I think it was Monday, I called a friend of mine that was dying. 
he and I had so many times personally shared together. Uh, he was an Air Force colonel. He retired. He was our first church administrator. For a year, he went out with the best and closest of friends. Then he went out to Colorado Springs years later and started a church, and it became one of the largest churches in Colorado Springs. He left that in the hands of someone else, and he went off on a tour in the, this country, driving an RV around the country for about 15 years, I think, and visiting all sorts of sites. And everywhere he went, he would pull into a place. The first thing they'd do is get an announcement out. They were going to have a Bible study, and he'd preach the Word and teach the Word and get people around to worship. And they looked forward to his return, those who were kind of permanent residents of those places every year. Well, I called Troy to find out how he was doing, knowing he was close, and feeling the urgency to do so. And it just happened to be the morning he died. Yvonne answered the phone. Yvonne, how are you doing? Well, we are all here. And you know, Daryl, Troy was supposed to go last night. But for some reason, he's just hanging on. And we don't know why. Because he says, I want to go and be with Jesus. I'm ready. And I, I, I know it'll only be a short time when we be together again. And she said, yeah, Tro Troy, I told Troy, I said, Troy, I know I'm going to see it this way. You're going to go on ahead of me. And it's going to be just like in the Air Force days when you went out on protracted tour. And we couldn't go with you. Only this time, I'm going to join you. Well, by the time I finished that phone call, church, I was walking on water. No, air. Oh, whatever. You know what I mean. Metaphor, exaggeration. Oh, how that buoyed me to hear in her voice that confidence, that expectation, and her desire to see him go because he would be out of the pain of this world and into the very joy for which he had lived. Church, that doesn't happen often. I, I was amazed it's to some degree on how naturally we were talking about Troy's going. And about an hour after I called, apparently, Troy breathed his last breath, and he's gone to be with the Lord. Oh, what assurance that is, church, to know him who makes that transcendence possible. And that's the story that that Winston Churchill had in his repertoire. He understood that history is in the hands of God, and that's where it rests. Now I want you to know, and I think it needs to be repeated continually, that the people who followed Jesus on this long walk up to, through the temple on a triumphant entry day, those people were ordinary people like you and me. We may love epic stories and heroic ventures because we want to be a hero. But the point is, none of us are really heroes ever. There's something, a gift of God that makes heroes heroes, that makes them willing to lay down their lives or give sacrificially. There's something that's beyond human and beyond human understanding that makes people do that. Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said that because there are people who have that. And when you ask him, are you a hero? No, I'm not a hero. 
I only did what anybody would do in my condition. It was a gift to the humankind, to that soul. But in a way, these people were just ordinary people. It was a mixed lot. And time and time again, I've, I, when I get up to speak, and you've probably done it several times here, I try to remind people that common folk, there was a patchwork of followers around Jesus. They were not people who would qualify any other way by any other standard. None of them had a membership in the cabal of the 